Awesome. Great. Well, so glad to be with you all this morning. Uh, I don't always get the privilege of being speaking up front in main service. Uh, Usually I am over in the student room preaching to high school students or middle school students. So it is a major blessing to be here with you all this morning and to continue on in our series in the book of James. And so we've been talking about genuine faith and about how we live out faith in our daily lives, uh, how we model it to other people in the workplace and in our schools and everywhere else. And so we've been talking about a very, various array of topics on faith. We've been talking about how faith asks and how faith works and how faith is pure and how faith is just was what we talked about last week. And so this week I want to talk about how faith is patient. And we're going to be in James chapter 5 this morning. So if you want to go and turn in your Bibles, if you have your Bible this morning to James chapter 5. And if you do not have a Bible, we would love to put one in your hands this morning. So if you just want to pop up a hand, we have some ushers in the back that will be happy to give you a, a, a real Bible uh, to be able to look from this morning. So as we begin this conversation on faith, uh, I'm reminded of something that uh, a great mentor of mine used to say all the time. And she used to tell me that the most dangerous thing that you can do is to pray for patience. Because when you pray for patience, the only way that the Lord can answer that prayer and to give you what you're asking for, which by the way, Lord will always answer your prayer for patience is what I've uh, discovered. But the way he gives you patience is by putting you in situations where your patience must be strengthened right? So there was kind of a, a running joke that we would have, you know, whenever I was coming to her with a, a, a challenge or a struggle, whenever the moment was right, she would kind of say, well, Grant, did you, uh, did you pray for patience recently? And be like, well, I don't know. I got to think back. Um, so it, it's, it's something that's reminded uh, of me as, as we can continue on in this, in, in this passage here. So as we, before we get into the book of James this morning, uh, I do have some very exciting news for you guys that Kaylee and I would like to share with you all. And that is that we got a puppy. So if you want to turn your eyes to the screen, uh, we, we just adopted a very cute mini golden doodle puppy uh, about a couple weeks ago. We actually drove all the way to Illinois to get this joker. Uh, he's super cute, super playful, super loving, and he loves cuddles. He's really great. And we thought so much about getting this puppy beforehand. Like, we did so much research. The fact that we drove all the way to Illinois is because we did all this research to find the best breeder with uh, the right price point for us. And so we did all this research, and we knew we were going to get this dog about a month before we went to go pick him up because he was so far away. So we had plenty of time to prepare for him. We set our apartment up in the way that we wanted to, to set it up. We're like, okay, the crate's going to go over here. The toys are going to go over here. And uh, we watched a whole bunch of training videos on YouTube. We're like, we're going to be ready. Like this dog, we're going to get him. And like, we're going to train him in the way of the Lord. Like he is going to be blessed. And he is going to be the best behaved dog uh, known to man. And I would so, so love to tell you that he was everything we thought he would be. But, there is a but, y'all knew it was coming. This dog loves to relieve himself in all the wrong places, okay? So if you have potty trained any sort of uh, young animal or human, then you probably understand the messes that that come with that and the, the, the stress that comes with it. 
So a few days ago, uh, I woke up at like 3 a.m. to go let this dog out because we're on that puppy schedule right now. Uh, for those of you who have done it, you know they can't control their bladder, so you got to wake up. Like, you, yeah, you know, Mia, I know you know. And so I woke up at 3 a.m. to go let this dog out. And of course, I take him out. And to make things even harder, we live in an apartment. So I'm trying to train him to go on this like 12 inch by 12 inch like puppy pee pad. Just, yes, you, all the things, all the things. So we take him out there and at 3 a.m. he's a sniffing around the back porch, not going anywhere near this freaking pee pad. And I'm like, dude, you gotta go. Like I woke up for you to do this and you are not doing what I need you to do. So, so much so that like when he walks away from it, I'm like, no, I'm gonna pick you up. I'm gonna put you on this pee pad because you need to learn that this is where you need to go. So I wake up at 3 a.m. and he's like, not wanting to go. I'm like, okay, fine. Put him back in his crate. A couple hours later, Kaylee wakes up at around like 6 a.m. or so to go let this dog out, of course, and to feed him. And she discovers that this dog has not only peed, not only pooped in his crate, he's done both of those things, walked all over it, and tracked it all around the crate. Not a pleasant thing to wake up to at 6 o'clock in the morning. And neither my wife nor I are morning people. So you can imagine how that conversation went uh, in, in the morning. So it's so frustrating to me that I cannot control this dog to do what I want it to do. It is the most frustrating thing in the world. Like I thought beforehand, like the, the whole month leading up, I'm like, I'm watching all these training videos. Like I know, like I'm gonna be able to tell this dog to do it and he's just gonna do it the first time. I know it. So, but it's frustrating to me now that like reality has hit, right? That I can't control him to do what I want him to do. And it's definitely not for a lack of trying. Like I said, when I take him outside, he is walking away from that pee pad. And I'm like, no, you need to go back over here, right? And I'm like teaching him how to sit. And I'm like pushing his butt down. Like, you need to sit, man. Come on. Like, you need to learn how to do this. There's going to be some people who want to control every aspect of their life because they think they can make anything happen as long as their will is strong enough. That's how I felt the last couple of weeks. Like if I can just, my will is strong enough, Lord, like my will is here, like this dog is gonna get trained. But it's also convicting to me in another way uh, because I do see myself as a young person. It's actually a joke around our, our, our staff that since I'm the youngest person on staff, I get made fun of sometimes for being the youngest person. Uh, Dana and I kind of go back and forth, but he's old, so that's cool. Um, <laughs> But I am at the beginning of my life. And it's scary for me sometimes to think about the future and to think about what it holds for me because I don't know. And the human in me is telling me that I need to do, the, to do whatever I can to control my circumstances to prevent bad things from happening. But there's another side of me, there's the heaven in me that is telling me that I need to trust God, that he has a plan and that he has good things for me. So as we break into the book of James this morning, I want us to first look at what patience is not. So I think James, as he's walking us through here and teaching us about patience, he wants us to, to first understand what it's not before he gets into what it is. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in James 5, starting in verse 1. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. 
You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, and he does not resist you. So right off the bat, James is coming off like firing shots at these people, right? And it's important for us to understand that, and we've been talking about this throughout this series, that he's writing to Jews. So Jews that have experienced Jesus, right? Jews that want to follow Christ, that are changing their ways. So he's writing to Jews, and, which is why he's drawing from a very familiar passage. He might have picked up on some similarities from another passage that you might be familiar with. He's quoting almost word for word Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, in Matthew 6, says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So these passages are very similar. You can see the, the, the similarities already. And the only difference in what they're saying is really how they're saying it. So we see Jesus here in Matthew 6. He is talking from a very instructive uh, perspective, right? He is, the masses have come to hear him preach. He is preaching this countercultural way of living. If you were with us, uh, I think it was about a year ago, we did a, a, a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was a very countercultural kind of guy, so the masses are coming to, to listen to him. Probably many of the people that are reading James's book right now. But James, on the other hand, is not being as instructive as Jesus is. James is just calling people out. He says, you didn't listen. You didn't listen. Or even more than that, he says, you didn't want to listen to Jesus. You saw the riches. You saw the gold. And you said, I think that's going to be better for me. So I believe that James is showing us something a little bit deeper here, uh, more than just the riches. He says, you've seen the riches. You've seen the gold. You've seen the silver. You've seen the laborers that work for you, and you've kept back their, their money, and you've dealt uh, not right with them, Right? And so what he's basically saying is that you have tried to control your circumstances in all the wrong ways. So I think what James is trying to get us to see here is that we in our impatience, so the opposite of patience, we in our impatience store up control. And we are most impatient when we let pride dictate our decisions because the, the, the root of control is pride. I know Ben touched on it a little bit last week. But the root of control is pride, thinking that we have it all together, that we know what's best, that we can provide for ourselves. But the real problem here is that pride and control are seriously destructive to our souls, which is why when you think that you're storing up control, you're actually storing up corrosion in your heart. It's eating you away from the inside. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Here's the thing. Control always feels right in the moment. And it's often what we turn to in stressful situations. We think if we can just control our environment well enough, then uh, everything's going to be okay. And when my dog won't pee where I want him to pee, the first thing I do is to try to control every aspect of his environment. I'm like, okay, you don't want to pee outside where I want you to pee? 
fine, I'm gonna put you on the hardwood floor because I definitely do not want to pull out the carpet cleaner if you pee on the carpet. And I'm probably gonna put you on your crates. That way you're not gonna make a mess in the apartment. Maybe you're like a stress cleaner, right? So when things are stressful in your life, you're like, okay, I can, I'm gonna clean the house. I'm gonna fold the laundry. I'm gonna do these things because I know that it's something that I can control. But James is saying here that our desire to control, when we choose our way over Jesus's way, we are slowly corroding away on the inside. Here's the thing. The corrosion of our heart, the corrosion of one's heart, can lead to the destruction of other people around them. And we see James leading up to that point here when we get to verse 6, when he says, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person when he did not resist you. And now he's referring to an even more specific group of people within the Jewish people. He's referring to this Jerusalem elite, the people, the Sadducees, the chief priests, that wanted their way so much that they actually put Jesus to death because of it. So we can see how the corrosion of their heart took its course in their lives. They were storing up control. They were holding back money from people. They were doing everything they could to control their circumstances, and they loved it. They loved the power. But it corroded them away on the inside, and it led them to do something that I'm sure that they probably never would have imagined doing before. And it blinded them from seeing the one true God that was standing right in front of them. So our corroded hearts eventually lead us to abandon our genuine faith. It leads us to abandon Jesus' way for our own way. We control because we are uncertain. And I'll admit, it's an uncertain thing to follow God. It's hard to follow a God that you can't see. It's hard to follow a God that you can't hear most of the time. It's uncertain. So my question for you this morning is what are you holding control over? Are you storing up riches in garments or silver or gold? Are you unwilling to let God have control over your finances? or your family, or maybe a significant life decision? What are you holding control over? So control is this earthly idea, right? I was talking earlier about the the human in me that worries about the future, that wants to plan and wants to take control over over, over my my life. That's That's an earthly idea. But when we get to patience, we find a kingdom idea. So I want to look now at what James has to say about this kingdom idea of patience. So if you will pick back up with me, starting in verse 7. James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So he's basically saying, Patience is about the long game. Y'all know this. Y'all have had patience before, I'm sure, many times in your life. It's about waiting. And he uses this really great illustration of a farmer waiting for his crops. And I think that it's it's great illustration because it's applicable to our day today, right? We can understand how a farmer, and if you've ever planted like a, a home garden, like you understand, like when you plant and you want fruit and you want vegetables, like you plant that seed in the ground, you got to water it, and you got to wait a long time before you actually see any sort of fruit from it. So I think the only challenge with this picture that we get from James 
is that currently in our culture, it stands in complete opposition with this culture of instant gratification, right? We want it now. We want it, we want it yesterday. Something that we've grown very familiar with. N.T. Wright puts it really beautifully. He says, our frantic modern society, which wants to have every vegetable in the shops all year round, and so brings them in by plane from far away, has done its best to obliterate the need for patience. Our culture hates waiting. It hates patience. So we're starting to see now how this idea of control is so evident in our world, in our earth, right? There's this other idea, this kingdom, this heavenly idea that James is calling us to. And I believe the the solution that James is giving us here is to have a faith that is patient enough to hold a heavenly perspective with the end in mind. A heavenly perspective that keeps its sight set on the end. Patience is all about having vision for the future. It's all about having vision for what is to come. And knowing that there is a hope and a good future. And for those of us who have faith in Jesus, we do have hope for a good future. We do have a hope of a day when Jesus will return. We have a hope of a day when there will be a day where every knee should bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We have a hope for that day where there will be no more suffering. There will be no more hurt. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither, Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There's a good day in store, a great day. This is good news that Jesus is coming back, that we don't have to live in our present circumstances of suffering. There's a day where it will be no more. Scripture tells us of it. It promises it. So for us to have genuine faith means we must be patient in waiting for this day to come. I've come to realize that my dog, as misbehaved as he is at times, I think he's going to get better. Like, I am, like, pretty confident. Like, he's doing a little bit better. Kaylee will tell you he's, he's picking up some things. He's, he actually sits on command now. Like, it's, it's great. And I have confidence that a year from now, like, I think he will poop in the place that I tell him to poop, right? <laughs> I'm confident. Mark my words. July 2nd in 2024, he will poop where I need him to poop. So I have hope of this great day. So James is saying that patience is hoping, keeping your eyes set on the end. So my question for you this morning is where in your life do you need hope? What situation do you need more of a heavenly perspective that has eyes set on the end rather than the present circumstance? Maybe your hope has been misguided or misdirected. Maybe you've been hoping for something that the Lord never even promised to you in the beginning. Where do you need hope? Where do you need a heavenly perspective today? The good news is, another piece of good news, is that in our waiting and as we are patient, God has grace for us. And he has things that he wants to give us in the midst of our waiting. And James identifies two uh, big ways that God blesses us with his character, with himself in the midst of our waiting. So picking back up here in verse nine, we're plugging along. 
James says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So in this whole section, James is talking about how when we're in the time of waiting, when we're in a time of exercising patience, it can be really hard. It can be really challenging. And he's going to give us two different things here. Right, explore the first one. But he's going to give us two different things of in the time of waiting, in the time of exercising patience, he's calling us to create space for God to move, create space and to trust that God will do what he says he's going to do. So the first way that James is saying we should trust the Lord, as the church, we need to trust that God is just. That he is a just God. For this, he says, do not grumble because he recognizes that in times of challenge, it, we are very likely to be less than loving towards other people. If you've ever uh, tried to put up with someone that you're just really annoyed with, you understand patience and you understand that it's really hard to be kind and loving to someone that is really ticking you off, right? You all know. So speaking of examples of uh, being ticked off, uh, I am someone who, it's kind of hard to admit, I am someone who uh, gets really annoyed when I'm sitting on the phone with a customer service agent, all right? How many of you all, who's bold enough to admit it with me that you are, you're frustrated? Some hands, okay, more hands are coming up. People are getting more bold. Yep, okay. We all have been there, right? We all know, like, whenever you have a problem and you need a call and you sit on hold for such a long time and then they're like, you, they don't solve the problem that you're asking for. And you're like, what are you doing with your life? Like, why are you not helping me? That was really extreme. It's, but it's thoughts that go through my head. I need patience. This, is, this message is for me. So a few months ago, uh, Kaylee's phone just, like, stopped working. All right, she couldn't make texts, she couldn't make calls, and she uh, couldn't do anything without Wi-Fi. Like, she couldn't access any, any sort of thing on the internet without Wi-Fi. So, of course, I call our phone provider, because it wasn't like an issue with Apple for her iPhone. Like, it was a service issue. I'm like, there's something going on. So I called our service provider and to see what the problem was. I probably sat on hold for maybe a good, like, 30 to 45 minutes. You know how they do the whole, like, hey, can you, like, please hold, please? Like, yes, thank you. I'm like, okay, I hold. And so I, like, held for a great amount of time. And then finally she comes back on the phone. And for about 20 to 30 minutes, I'm explaining the situation. She's like, okay, okay, okay. And after about 20 to 30 minutes, uh, we discovered that uh, we didn't know what the problem was. So... Over the course of the next two days, I spoke with more customer service reps and their managers and their manager's managers. And over this long span of time, we finally figured out that someone, I don't know who, but I want to find them someday, accidentally disconnected her service. It, yeah, it was pretty bad. Yeah, so she couldn't work, like her phone wasn't working. She couldn't do anything. So in that moment, I kind of heard like my mentor playing in the back of my head, like, did you ask for patience? I'm like, no, Lord, I did not ask you for patience. I did not ask for this situation. So it's silly, but some of the smallest things sometimes can tick us off and lead us to a complete loss of patience. In whatever situation we feel like we are being wronged, James is calling us here to trust that there is a judge standing at the door already. 
that would deal rightly with the injustice that we experience. It can be something as small as sitting on the phone with a customer service rep, knowing that the Lord would judge me if I'm not being kind to this person. Or it can be something as large as uh, getting laid off from your job and not really sure how to have patience in a moment of so much uncertainty. James says to trust that God is a just God. So when we try to make, take matters into our own hands, that James says the trajectory of God's judgment shifts onto us. So there is a just God that's standing at the door that will deal with the injustices that we are experiencing. And that's something that we need to know. But we also need to know that if we aren't dealing rightly with other people, if we are trying to take matters into our own hands and, and inflict justice on other people, because we think that we're better, that, better at that than God, it shifts back onto us. And James uses these prophets of the Old Testament as a great example of this. And they are really honestly great examples because the prophets were under an extreme amount of stress. They experienced suffering and they experienced torture and mocking. And meanwhile, they, ex- they had patience through it all. Jeremiah is a great example of how he, he was actually pulled into a public square. He was stripped and he was flogged for telling the people that they were going to experience judgment. The thing about the prophets is that they never inflicted judgment on the people that they were ministering to. They only just communicated what God was going to do if they didn't change their ways. They are a great example of patience. So at the same time though, that we see while we have a just God, there's another important characteristic here that James wants us to not miss, that James wants us to trust in. So verse 11, picking back up, James says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord how the Lord is compassionate and how the Lord is merciful. So we see a really fascinating thing here. That at the same time, while God is just, he is also merciful. This is where it gets really interesting because judgment and mercy seem to stand in opposition with one another. Right? How can you judge someone but also have mercy for them? But before we can get to mercy, we do have to understand justice. Because before we can forgive someone, we have to first understand that there is something to be forgiven. So oftentimes we think of God as a merciful God or a just God. But the two go hand in hand. You can't have real justice without mercy. You can't have real mercy without justice. I can't deal out harsh punishment to my dog all the time, like reprimanding him every second of the day without also like loving him, playing with him, letting him know that like I am a safe space, right? Because he needs to trust me. But I also can't like love and affirm him and like play with him all day long without telling him what's wrong and don't poop there, right? I need to have that with him. He needs to hear justice. He needs to hear mercy. And James, again, uses an excellent example to show us how this works. And he gives us Job. And if you know the story of Job, Job had everything taken from him. 
Job had his family taken from him, all of his family. His friends left him. His land was taken away. His house was taken away. Everything was taken away from him. He had every reason to not believe in a merciful God at this point. He had every reason to believe only in a God that judges. Yet, we see clearly how Job persevered in patience and continued to trust that God was merciful and that God still had something good for him. God was compassionate and merciful to Job because he only allowed suffering for a very good reason. God was compassionate and merciful to Job because he actually restricted what Satan could do against Job. God was compassionate and merciful to Job because he sustained him with his unseen hand throughout his suffering. Maybe you've seen some of these things in your life before. Maybe you've seen how God only allows certain things to happen because there's a good thing that he wants to teach you. There's something, a good reason for it. Maybe you've seen how in the midst of your struggle, God has restricted things from getting worse. And he's not allowed Satan to have a foothold in your life. Maybe you've seen how he has sustained you in times of need. And you've seen his unseen hand of provision. So the question I want us to wrestle with is, how do we see God? How do you see him? Do you see God as a judge who is never merciful? Do you see God as hands off and never serving justice? Have you ever felt judged by God for something that you've done in your past and never experienced the mercy of a true God? Have you ever felt severely wronged by someone or something and you've never seen God's justice served for that situation? No matter what, James wants us to understand and to trust that God has to be both just and merciful. You can't have one one without the other. I'm going to invite the the band back up. So what I want us to get here is that the way of patience is to focus on the Lord himself, who is both deeply just and he's deeply compassionate. He's deeply kind. He's deeply merciful. You can't have one without the other. So we've seen how that when we are not patient, right, we store up control in our lives. Because when we're not patient, we don't keep our eyes set on the end to know that God has good things for us. And we want to control our circumstances. Then the way to counteract our impatience, the way to release control, is to have our eyes set on the end to have a heavenly perspective, a kingdom mindset. And when we have our kingdom mindset, we see that God blesses us by being both just and merciful for us. That he doesn't leave us out to dry in our patience. He doesn't just tell us to be patient without also giving us grace. And if we don't get the fact that God is both merciful and just, if we don't get the fact that we need to have our eyes set on the end, 
set on heaven with a, a day where there is going to be no more suffering, no more pain. If we don't get that, then we will always return back to the control, the control piece. We'll always return back to when to control things in our lives. And it will lead to impatience. And we've seen what happens with that. It's not the way to live. So when we store up control, we're storing up corrosion. We're storing up bad things. We're dying from the inside out. So James is telling us here that don't, don't be impatient. Don't try to control. Let go. Let go and see that God has you. That God will be merciful when you need him to be merciful. God will be just when you need him to be just. It all boils down to surrender. How do we release control to God? So this morning, are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to surrender control to Jesus and to be patient that he will come through in your circumstances? Are you willing to have a mindset that is constantly set on the end rather than the present? And are you willing to lay it all down? We're gonna sing a song here uh, at the end and it's just, it, it repeats one phrase over and over again. Just lay it all down. There couldn't be something more true than that. How are we surrendering everything to the Lord? How are we trusting that when we do surrender, he will provide, he will come through, right? How are we trusting that? So are you willing to lay it all down this morning? Are you willing to lay down your control? Are you willing to lay down the things that you've been soaring up? Are you willing to lay down your doubts that God can be both merciful and just or any other doubts for that matter? Are you willing to lay down a feeling of pride, of feeling like you are capable of being in control? So there's a couple of questions here uh, that's gonna, or a question that's gonna pop up on the screen. It's a very simple question. It's just, what do you need to lay down? Very practical. So I want for us to take some time to ask the Lord, Lord, am I controlling things? Am I not hoping enough of a day that will come? Am I focusing too much on my present circumstances? Have I been trying to do it all myself? And so we have an awesome prayer team that will spread out around the room uh, that will love to pray for you uh, as you're processing through this. Uh, we have an altar that is open that you are more than welcome to come. Maybe your act of surrender this morning is literally just laying things down on the altar for Jesus. And finally, we have communion elements that are spread out around the room that you can grab as well that uh, you can take in remembrance of a God who laid everything down for you. Everything. So the space is open for you to uh, process and to respond how you feel it. I know that God is here. I know that God is here. If, you're not, if you hear nothing else from me this morning, know that God is here and that he wants to meet you. 
that he wants to speak to you. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you come. I pray that you would stir hearts. And that you would guide us to how we should respond. Lord, speak to us. We want to hear your voice this morning. We want to know your plan. We want to know your will. And God, it's hard. It's hard to be patient and to wait for you sometimes. It's hard to trust that you will come through. It's hard to not control. So this morning, Lord, I pray that you would convict us of areas in our life where we're trying to to store up things. Convict us of areas in our lives where, where we feel like we can do it without you. Because, God, the reality is that we can't do it without you. We need you every second of every day. So Holy Spirit, come. We love you. Praise in Jesus' name.